So it wasn't a difficult decision when he mentioned that they do have air conditioning. <laughs> um, I don't know these people from sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Balsamo. And hi. hi. <laughs> and, uh, and last time we had big news about uh, Tom, and now I've got more news that uh, uh, he's had a really rough week. He's been underwater uh, uh, a lot, literally. And so I'm looking forward to hearing about it because this morning we were uh, busy enough that we couldn't just like, you know, chew the fat for 20 minutes before the uh, before the episode. And so I'm just going to have to get the catch up here uh, on 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 episode. But first, let me thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Uh, we thank you so much for all that you invest uh, in, 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 in each episode in paying the bills and, uh, and supporting us as you do. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash reason together and uh, sign up there for any one of a few different tier, uh, tiers. And you can, uh, you can make adjustments and, uh, and really control uh, the degree to which you support, so don't feel like you're just locked into some general, uh, some general uh, amounts there. But you can you can control that. And um, anyway, we appreciate your support. And if you become an elite patron, there's a free T-shirt with that access to the um, to the message board. And uh, anyway, we look forward to having your feedback. And the we after show say that often. And the after show. Yeah, did I say that? I didn't say after show. Uh, yeah. That's like a, maybe a, you did a bonus episode. But we'll say it again: the after show, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a bonus episode every time we record, and I uh, get to hear that uh, conversation as well. So we hope this is a, a help to you as you're just thinking about stuff, and uh, we want to hear from you. What what things are you thinking about? What questions do you have? And uh, this morning we'll we'll jump into it. But Tom, first I want to um, uh, ask about your last week. I know you've had a busy and a, and a unique and an enjoyable week. I want to hear about it. Uh, yeah. So you know when you're when you're a homeschool family, you um, you kind of have to do things a little different sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, kids in the public school often take what's known as a senior trip. Mm -hmm. And when you know some homeschool families maybe don't put any emphasis on doing things like that. I thought it would be good for us too. Um, and, uh, so one of our sons just graduated from high school and we had been planning for quite some time to take him on a senior trip. Uh, it, it wasn't something that we would all four be able to do all four of us in the family. So it was going to be just me and him kind of dad and son time, mm -hmm. sort of a, a rite of passage kind of trip. Okay. And, uh, so we were going to have him conquer something that uh, he was a little nervous about. And, and he's, he's usually not nervous about things. He's usually very, um, very determined, very yeah. level-headed about stuff. But when he was much younger, I had tried to take him uh, snorkeling one time uh, up in the North Atlantic. It was off a place called Stonington Point. I took him out there with uh, like a snorkel mask, a scuba mask. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of scared about it and he ended up swimming back in to shore. And that's kind of bothered him ever since hmm. that, that, that made him nervous. And I said, well, well, why don't you try to conquer that fear? So we decided for his senior trip, I would take him, uh, to get a scuba license. Yeah, so we're not just talking snorkeling. We're talking scuba diving and not right. just doing scuba diving, but like getting the whole going. Yeah. 
the whole the training, the whole deal, yeah. not just your regular <laughs> vacationer's scuba license. We were going to go uh, all the way up through some advanced uh, specialties, okay, uh, and things. So he and I went on this trip. We were gone for uh, pretty much a week, and we went to what some consider the scuba capital of the United States or, or even the world, maybe. Uh, I don't know how true that is. <laughs> but uh, we went to the Florida Keys. <clears throat> okay. And uh, Key Largo in particular. And I think we did a total of uh, 15 dives uh, the whole week. And, wow. and we went there to work. This was, uh, you know, while it was fun and sort of vacation-like in a way because we're in a new place and it's kind of tropical and such, we were there to work. We were there to get certified and to do as much work as we possibly could in the shortest amount of time uh, to accomplish it. So we spent like all day, every day, <laughs> yeah. just soaking wet, just uh, <laughs> covered in salt water. And uh, um, it, we, by the end of the week, we were just done. We were just exhausted. Yes. But uh, a total of 15 dives, nearly 11 hours underwater in total. Um, and we dove a number of, uh, reefs and we dove at least, I think it was three wrecks, wreck dives that we did. Oh man. Yes. And we dove one of those wrecks at night. Um, we did a deep drift dive, which, um, we, we got down close to 80 feet depth on that for about uh, 20 <laughs> minutes. Cause your air consumption goes much faster at depth. Oh, okay. Okay. So you run out much quicker down, down that deep. So okay. Wow. We, we could only spend about 20 minutes at that depth and, um, it was, uh, an adventure. We, we have yes. a lot of stories to tell. We saw everything from nurse sharks to moray eels, sea turtles, uh, a, a whole host of tropical fish, <clears throat> uh, barracuda, um, oh. sea cucumbers, crabs, lobsters, um, you name it. I feel like I'm forgetting something too, but, uh, wow. Not yeah, to mention the reef. Oh, eagle rays. Yeah. Eagle rays, you know, those oh. big, they're not manta rays, not the huge ones, okay. but they're kind of like medium sized ones. Okay. Eagle rays. And then mm -hmm. the smallest ones are like stingrays. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was an adventure. And by the time the week was over, we felt like we'd been fully, uh, no pun intended, immersed in it <laughs> to where... <laughs> To where by the end of the week, we felt confident. We knew what we were doing. Uh, yeah. We felt we uh, had advanced enough in it that, you know, we weren't just novices with it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, we had a great instructor and a unique experience with that is um, so, so like we were going to be camping that week. We had a reservation at a campground and we camped for the first night and it was miserably hot, miserably hot. <laughs> And the next day we go through the entire day of scuba training. We kind of, uh, you know, established a relationship with our instructor on day one, uh, and learned that, that he's a believer, he's a Christian. <clears throat> oh, wow. And, uh, so we, we kind of had a, a mutual understanding uh, of each other from day one there. And, uh, after we were done with scuba lessons for the first day, he said, why don't you go over to our church? There's a, a dinner that we're putting on tonight, and my wife is cooking for that. Oh, wow. Why don't you go over there and get yourself dinner? <clears throat> so he had some things to do, so he wasn't there for it. But but we uh, we went over after scuba school and uh, met his wife. And I'll tell you, what a sweetheart. Uh, it, it, like when you think of like Southern hospitality, um, this, this, is what, this is what we experienced. 
Um, I mean, she showered us with food, just kept bringing stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course the sweet tea was involved as well. And, uh, just, uh, what a blessing. So, you know, we got talking with her a little bit after, and, you know, uh, I told her, I said, if you're ever up in, in Clarksville, Tennessee, you're ever up our way, you know, you, you just give us a call, um, let us know you're coming and, and you'll have a place to stay up there. And, uh, you know, she gave us hugs as we said goodbye and, we went back over to the campsite and we were getting kind of settled in doing some things for the evening when our scuba instructor shows up at the campground. <laughs> and I'm wondering what in the world is he here for? And this, th this is unusual. I, I I'm fairly certain he doesn't do this all the time, but yeah. Uh, um, he said, he came to our site and he said, my wife told me to come over here and collect you. You guys are staying with us for the week. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't a difficult decision when he mentioned that they do have air conditioning. Um, I don't know these people from sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what an incredible blessing it was that they opened up their home to us yes. and, and yes. took care of us and were so hospitable to us uh, for the entire week that we were down there and we had just met. And yes. You know, knowing that that we were brethren in Christ, they said, we're opening up our home to you. And, you know, we would spend, uh, you know, the whole day together in scuba, uh, in, in scuba training. And then in the evenings, we'd just sit around talking about all sorts of things, everything from extra education in diving mm -hmm. to theology and practice and, and just a great time of fellowship. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was just such a blessing. And, you know, we didn't have to fill out a, a doctrinal questionnaire. We didn't have to sign a statement <laughs> to, you know, he, he didn't make us do that <laughs> before he was willing to be hospitable to us. Yeah. He just figured yep. these folks are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to take them in. So, uh, we, we enjoyed the week, um, and got the full tropical experience. Uh, you know, he had a, a coconut palm tree in his front yard. He got down coconuts and we showed us how to process those and, um, we had fresh Florida mangoes and we had, uh, uh, Cuban coffee. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's no, not necessarily. It's supposedly like really super strong caffeinated coffee. And it was, it tasted like really sweet espresso, uh, hmm. to me. And they serve it in these tiny little cups that are probably no bigger than like a communion cup. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Cause it's, it's that potent. Um, we did some fishing and he loaned us some fishing gear, uh, while we were down there and, uh, it, yeah, it was just, I, I'm wow. just so, uh, so blessed by the whole experience and yes, yeah, it was great. What a great example and, uh, and a testimony to the world, you know, about who, you know, whoever, uh, you know, everybody wants to belong to something and, and yet a lot of times they want to belong in their own way and their own deviant circles, you know what I mean? Um, but, but the, you know, the body of Christ, the, the family is, uh, has that kind yeah. of unity where we can belong and, uh, and should, yeah. and they were a good testimony of that. Yeah. We even went to church with them Sunday and, uh, great. Yeah. It was just, uh, yeah, it was a great week. Good, good. And, uh, so, uh, you got the, the licensing and he conquered that fear and it was yep. uh, what you wanted it to be there. So neat. that was it. We're, we're now uh, advanced open water uh, scuba certified with a peak performance buoyancy specialty edition. 
There you go. Uh, to the license. I, don't, I know that probably doesn't mean much for a lot of listeners. But, but maybe some of our listeners know what you're actually saying. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and uh, good. Um, well, let's uh, let's jump into uh, a couple questions here. Um, I've got one that I, I feel like may take a while, maybe not. Uh, and then we've got a listener feedback, but since it's an elite patron, I think we'll just save that for the after show. Um, okay. So a uh, little bit of context to this, uh, to this question. I was <clears throat> listening recently and, uh, and some of our, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with, uh, Candace Owens yeah. uh, with the daily wire. Uh, well, she, uh, had a, a recent episode, a couple episodes actually, uh, with, uh, a conversation, if you will, a debate between her husband, who is a Roman Catholic, um, and Allie Beth Stuckey, who is uh, kind of an evangelical, I think, millennial podcaster who wears her faith She's on her like uh, reformed, very she, reformed. Um, she is reformed. Yep. Um, but I think she would call herself, I mean, kind of see her, I, I would see her more as the evangelical, right? Um yeah, probably. But anyway, so for throwing around titles, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so, know we don't like it when people do that to us. So yeah, okay, good point. Um, so um, anyway, I was listening to the first part of it uh, until I was like, ah, whatever, and I and I had to kind of stop, I think, and like digest <laughs> some of what was going on. Um, and, you know, there's disappointing parts and, and, uh, and like, oh, oh, of course it's always easier to be the, what do you call it, the armchair quarterback or like, mm-hmm. oh, I could have said that, you know, you, like right. wheel of fortune is so easy. Right. Maybe when you're sitting in your living room, but then when you're, <laughs> when you know, you're standing in front of millions of people and you're like, oh, are, oh, it's already been guessed. Oh, oh, you know, and you can't see that simple word. Right. Um, anyway, so I'm not overly criticizing Allie Stuckey here because you know she's under she's under the gun in this in this debate, but uh, m- more of what I'm I'm going after is not her but something that he said uh, that uh, Candace Owens' husband said or, or asked, and uh, and and so that combined with something I heard last night in church, I got to thinking, oh wait a, wait a minute, I, I I realized that oh I think he went for the jugular <laughs> in this one particular statement. And he was saying, he said something like, um, and I, and I want to say it was in context of the way I read it was essentially justifying the Pope. Okay. We would Mm -hmm. say we've got a Bible, right? That's, that's what we need. And he asked the question, said something like, uh, where does the Bible say sola scriptura? Okay. Well, um, they, I think we're kind of taking the tack that like the Trinity, it's not really mentioned or something like that. Well, my mind went to second Timothy three, 16 and 17, right? That, um, that the word of God, the scriptures are sufficient to complete the man of God to everything he needs to do. So right. why does he need anything else? Um, but, um, I, and, and, and it's cold enough on me now that maybe I'm forgetting a connection here, but I don't know if in some way that was meant to say that, um, that some justifying the Pope. But anyway, um, in, in trying in, in, in a Roman Catholics attempt to justify the Pope who can speak ex cathedra, meaning he can speak and essentially it becomes scripture, right? Um, allegedly, then I'd say the argument is not about is scripture alone sufficient. It's is the scripture finished, right? 
It has yeah. to. It has to be the question of the what we call the closed canon. Um, yeah. Now they're not, of course, the only ones. You have so you have the the Pope, you know, continuing revelation supposedly. Um, you have the Mormons who have other books. You have, um, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you have charismatics who who see, you know, uh, ongoing um, revelation to a point. So anyway, my question to you is going to be: What's the what? What would be the the line of argumentation that you would take? What 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 um, proofs would you give for a closed canon? Uh, the standard answer, I believe, comes from Revelation. Uh, is it chapter twenty two? Yeah, twenty two, eighteen, and nineteen. I think. Yeah, um, let me pull that up. That says, uh, "For I testify unto every man." That heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, uh, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Mm -hmm. Uh, My question about that passage, uh, and probably some listeners are thinking this too, is what's our line of argumentation for applying that to the whole of scripture and not just the book of revelation? Yeah. Now, uh, and I agree that I think it, the immediate context is speaking to that book that John was writing, uh, right. uh, of the revelation. However, I would say, I would kind of take a middle stance on it to say that there is a principle there and really just logic itself. Um, that, when God says something, uh, it should not be diminished, distorted, or added to. Um, right. You know, and added to meaning uh, saying God said something he didn't say. Um, yeah, because just because, you know, the Lord himself may not have said these exact words in his inspiring of every other book of scripture doesn't mean he feels differently about the words that he gives in all of those other books. They are his <laughs> words. And and if he says them, I'm sure he feels the same way about them, regardless of what book of the Bible that they're in. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're all an expression of himself. And so you, the, sen- the, sem- the similar idea is found in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Right. Well, you know, the idea, so so obviously we can't take the word of God and detract from it and say less than he said, or twist it and say that he said something he didn't say, or add to it. I, I, so I think whether you take that, oh, oh, Revelation, John was saying the Bible. No, John was speaking to that specific book, but right. it certainly mirrors a truth that that we can't distort the word of God. So Agreed. Is, is that enough then? That argument? Uh, I think that's that's enough, but there is more. Okay, go ahead. Um, there, there is an argument of necessity, you know, whether or not we need someone like a Pope to add additional things uh, to scripture, allegedly. Uh, necessity really uh, dictates that we, we don't need any such thing. Um, you know, I'm thinking in particular of second Peter, um, and there's a strong case to be made that Second Peter chapter one, he is dealing with uh, the revelation of Scripture, uh, particularly because of his use of the word knowledge of God through there, uh, which is given through Scripture. And he says in Second Peter one and, and verse three, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us into glory and virtue. 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Uh, and and this, the verse goes on. But the strong implication there is how did we receive those promises? How did we get the knowledge of God? Through the scriptures. And it gives us, he says, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In other words, even if there was some legitimacy to needing a pope or some figure like that to speak mm -hmm. ex cathedra, mm -hmm. it's not necessary. I don't need it. I have the scriptures already that give me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There isn't an answer that he could give me that I couldn't come to myself with diligent study and the uh, the, the 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 leading of the Holy Spirit. And um, I I just don't think it would be necessary. I don't want to take us too far afield, but what if the in devil's advocate said, "Well, it doesn't say scripture; it says through the knowledge of Him." And what if it? What if you need the Pope? to reveal him more so that you better understand him and therefore have the things that you need in your generation um, to, to know and please God? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I'd have to think about that. Um, I, would say, I would say another argument that goes along uh, with this, and my wife mentioned this to me this morning, I thought it was great, um, was when <laughs> another test you know, to say is, well, when you have this continued revelation, if it contradicts the previous revelation, obviously there's a problem. Well, sure. Um, and so when when you get a religion like this that takes the scriptures that <clears throat> are are clear about um, justification by faith and the the all sufficiency of Christ and um, and not by works of righteousness, you know what I mean? And then right. you add all this supposed revelation that turns all of this on its head, mm -hmm. you know, then you have to go, wait a minute, that's not an extension of that. You right. know, it, it'd be one thing if it all was in line and it just sort of supplemented and, and can, you know, fulfill yeah. our understanding of it. But then we say, oh, but yeah, I'm going to fulfill your understanding and realizing that what they had for hundreds of years actually meant, boop, and then you turn it upside down. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the question of an open canon uh, is, is really a troubling thought uh, for in the first place, because if there was such thing as an open canon, meaning we're still expecting more revelation from God, we have no certainty of anything we believe now. You know what I mean? Is that not a troubling thought that if, if, if new revelation could come in that effectively changes the prior revelation or updates it as the book of Mormon claims to do. Um, <laughs> how do we know there isn't another book coming? That's just going to say, Oh, by the way, you know, forget the whole, you know, gospel of God's grace, you know, forget that we're going to do this now. Um, we have no surety of anything if that's the case. And, and frankly, that's unstable and it doesn't seem to really be within the character of God to have that kind of instability. Um, but I, in, in addition, I'm sorry, you, you I, I would push else? back against that some just because again, if it truly was revelation, it wouldn't contradict. And the people of the old Testament were in such a, a place that you're describing that I, I, I agree with that, but I'm talking about with the claims of new revelation that updates or changes mm -hmm. prior revelation. You know what I mean? When we look at dispensational revelation, it builds upon prior revelation. Mm -hmm. When you look at claims of like the Book of Mormon or things that the Pope has stated ex cathedra, there is often contradiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, and, and even an Old Testament Hebrew, I say an Old Testament Hebrew, a Hebrew pre-Christ 
when Christ came, they should have seen a fulfillment of the things they believed, not a contradiction. Exactly so, so, my yes, point. Yes. Okay. Um, and I would also add to it really the the words and testimony of Jesus uh, and how he utilized Scripture. So, I mean, he is, of course, one of the more uh, well-known passages in which he says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. And he functions this way in his own testimony when there is a question from his critics, <clears throat> the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, and so on. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, one of the things he says that settles the question or the debate is something like this. Have you not read in the scriptures? Yeah, very good point. He didn't say, I'm, I'm God and I can whatever I say now is truth. And so I'm just going to debunk everything you say by what I say. He no, goes he's back pointing to them back to their own scripture. Yes, in other right. words, by his own testimony and character of treating scripture as an authoritative, definitive, final statement, that really has to speak to some finality of scripture. It has mm-hmm. to speak to the authority of scripture and the sufficiency of scripture. So I just don't know that we could buy the whole idea that some pope can speak ex cathedra and continue adding to scripture because it messes with the authoritativeness uh, of scripture. Um, and then I'm going to wonder here, and, and, and I'm not totally wanting to open a can of worms or give a definitive answer, but I wonder if somehow 1 Corinthians 13, um, 8 comes into play here somewhere uh, for me, it does with the issue of tongues, um, that the the terminology as you study it um, kind of under the surface, it indicates there's going to be a time when tongues just peters out, right? There's going to be mm-hmm. a time when tongues finishes. And so in my mind, it's pretty easy to look back through history and go, okay, well, tongues didn't exist for 1800 years. Um, and then all of a sudden the Azusa Street Revival, you know, and their blossoms again and go, wait, really? I mean, didn't didn't it pretty much peter out? Isn't that kind of what we saw? You know what I mean? Like in, in relation to what scripture is saying. But that same verse says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Not meaning that they, I don't think the idea is probably that they'll fail and that they'll um, be rendered um, worthless or that... Um, um, or that they won't accomplish something, but that they'll stop, or uh, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, I'm not for sure. I can't give a definitive thought there because there's some uh, disagreement even between us, I think, on what uh, the next on verse 10 means. But um, but still, the, the idea is, is there a passage of Scripture that somehow indicates that we should expect Scripture to be done? Now, to me, there's a historical argument that we look back and say, well, the church, whatever you, whatever you mean by that, but I mean, I just mean the um, the collection of true regenerate churches in the past, in the first couple few centuries, were saying we're basically solidifying this is the canon. Uh, we're going to throw out the Gospel of Barnabas. That's not true, mm-hmm. you know, the Gospel of Thomas or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But th- this this uh, Peter and this uh, Timothy over here, these these are true books. You know what I mean? And they're they're pulling together, and I think. Early on, it was it was evident to the church what books were inspired, what books were not, and yeah. this became the canon. Um, and so then to just say, whether it's in the Mormon case, oh, in the 1800s, all of a sudden a man got revelation from God that said, everybody else was wrong, take this and write this book. Well, that's pretty 
shaky. But anyway, you know, or to say the Pope. Now they're going to disagree going back to, say, the fourth century with Constantine, and they're going to see the start of what they call the true church or the continuation of the true church um, through the state uh, state church. But anyway, is is there an argument somehow historically or, again, scripturally, where, where it's saying, where the scripture says, uh, well, it's going to finish. It'll be done. Like, uh, does scripture well, ever I mean, open the idea that we should just expect revelation to go on until the Lord returns? To, to go back to where you started there, you were talking about first Corinthians, um, 13, 10. Mm-hmm. And for, for our listeners who may be driving or not in front of their Bible at the moment, <laughs> um, it says, but that when, but when that, which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. If I'm not mistaken, don't some see that as a reference to the finished canon of scripture? Some do. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I don't know that I have a fully developed opinion on it. Do you? Uh, I'm more of the persuasion that it is uh, the glorification of the body, basically, uh, when uh, our final, if you want to say our final redemption has come, um, uh, then uh, that that's that which is perfect. Okay. So, so you don't believe that then would be a, a good argument to use to answer the question that you've posed today? Not verse 10, uh, but I wonder if in verse 8 uh, there has something to do with that. Now, maybe that's inconsistent to say that, but no, I don't think verse 10 is a good argument there. Some mm-hmm. do, many do. Uh, okay. I don't. And, and for my part of my reasoning being that when he says, it comes down to verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then when that which is perfect has come face to face, now I know in right. part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Well, can I say that now that I have the full canon of scripture, which, you know, Paul didn't have the full canon necessarily because John finished it after Paul was dead. But, um, you know, is it... Uh, is it that once we have the scripture, man, we know face to face. We're not dealing darkly anymore. Yeah, um, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good point. Um, okay. So the question, I guess, then is where where are we going with this? Uh, if 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 the principles that we've provided, and and they're not direct verses, to be honest, we've not provided an absolute statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but are the principles that we've provided? Are those enough? Well, that's and that's the question. I mean, for me, it is. Um, me too. And and I would, uh, yeah, I would say that. And another verse that comes to mind uh, is in is it Titus one two maybe? Um, it says, "God which cannot lie." Um, you know, he, he's the he's mm. the unfalse God, and or, so he's. Or- he cannot deny himself is another one that might be in okay. one of Timothy's, one of his epistles to Timothy. He okay. cannot deny himself, which yeah. we would use the modern word contradict. Okay. Okay. Um, and so that idea that if anything, and, and the same thing that he said about, uh, is similar to the thing he said about prophets in the old Testament. If they say something doesn't come true, they're not a prophet. You know, they're not a real <laughs> prophet. Um, right. well, if they say something that contradicts God, well, God doesn't contradict himself. And so obviously that person is not actually giving a revelation of God as he is. Um, so I think you you stack all that up on one side and then you go back to, wait, what's their justification for the Pope, period? Well, right. Peter was like the head of the disciples and 
Uh, he was the spokesman for them. And Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Well, there's debate on that. You know, I mean, it, to me, it's kind of a sketchy argument anyway uh, to, yeah. to launch this whole, uh, you know, empire and he's the king and all this things like yeah. this. Well, uh, and if, if you remember too, Jesus said in Matthew 23, be not called rabbi for one is your master, even Christ and all ye are brethren and call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father, which is in heaven. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> one of those verses like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's but, so much to say against the whole setup of that religion and the mindset. But I was kind of addressing that one question about somewhat the sola scriptura versus the justification of the Pope. And it wasn't so much a question of um, what is, um, what was I going to say? Is scripture sufficient, but is it finished? Um, and so uh, listeners, if you've got a verse we're not thinking of, uh, an angle on this one, uh, obviously, our desire is to is to be settled on the clearest representation of the truth, not to just win an argument. And so, if there's yeah. um, some angle that you have or something we need to think about, uh, please send it our way. Reason Together Podcast at gmail dot com. Reason Together Podcast at gmail dot com. Yeah. All right. What uh, What do we want to do next? All right. Let's see here. Um, okay. Let me ask you this one. Uh, this has been on here for a while. Now, this, is, this is totally subjective. This I'm asking you, uh, and our <laughs> listeners may may feel. I, in fact, I guarantee you, there's going to be a spectrum of feeling here. Great about this question. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so, uh, do you feel comfortable going to a restaurant that serves alcohol? So like short answer, I, I, I'm following this up with another question, but yeah, what, short, short answer. Yes. I'm, I'm fine with it. Okay. Um, do you, would you feel comfortable going to a restaurant that's part of a casino? Hmm. That's a good question because I haven't, <laughs> and I see where you're going with it now. Um, I have been. I have, I have lived near a casino when we were living in Connecticut and we just never went there because mm -hmm. something just felt weird about it. Um, something just bothered my conscience about it. Yes. But I can see your point now. Cause it's like, if I'm willing to eat at like an Applebee's where there's mm -hmm. a bar, why would I not be willing to also eat at a restaurant in a casino? And I guess I don't have a good defense for that. <laughs> yeah, and not that I'm trying to get you to eat at the casino. I'm just, uh, it, it, it is interesting. It is a different feeling. Um, like, oh, I don't want to eat the casino. And yet I, I honestly hate alcohol more than I hate gambling. You know, um, now people might, might disagree with whatever. Okay. But, you know, to me, alcohol is, is such a destructive force in, sure. in our culture. Now, not to say that gambling, I, I, I after reading, what was it? Um, oh, I don't think it was Duhigg's book. There was some, um, there was some book that uh, used as kind of an illustration throughout uh, the story of one lady and her uh, addiction, if you will, to gambling. And I saw in that book uh, the the shark nature of the casino. Oh yeah, that they uh, they are vicious. You know, they're out to just 
bleed you. If you've yep. got money, they're glad to take it until you're left with nothing uh, and you've ruined your life. They don't care. You know what I mean? No. So it's not that I'm saying that they're better than the alcohol company. I just think the alcohol is more widespread and is tremendously destructive. Yeah. Uh, and and su- I suppose maybe it's also the, in a sense, uh, alcohol is more ubiquitous in society. Yes, yes right. It, it is everywhere. Um, and it's, it's hard to sometimes even find, uh, restaurants that don't serve it in some way. So making it much more ubiquitous. So maybe we're more used to it, uh, or desensitized maybe, uh, would be maybe a scarier word. Um, yeah. whereas casinos are not everywhere. Uh, some places don't allow them. There's a lot more restrictions where they can be. Um, though they do tend to ruin communities in the same way that alcohol ruins individuals. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just throwing this out for sake of conversation and thought, I guess that somebody might say, well, the restaurant serves alcohol. It's, it's something that they have, uh, it's part of the menu, but they're not run by alcohol. They just serve it where a restaurant in a casino, you get a little bit more of the feeling that I'm subsidizing the casino, um, you know, because this restaurant is owned by the casino. It's a part of the casino. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in some ways how I could see somebody feeling, um, though I don't really know that materially there's a, a difference. Because if you go to an Applebee's or to a place that's half bar, right, uh, yeah. and you're hoping maybe to get a seat a little bit further away from the bar. But I mean, half of it, it's obviously largely uh, subsidized by, <clears throat> by alcohol. And uh, so I don't know that there's... Uh, much of a difference. Um, so I've got another note here, but I'm not going to launch out on that because I'd have to think about what I said there. But anyway, um, listeners, do you have a thought about, it was interesting because the same pause I saw in you, I wonder how many of that's going to be in our listener. And, 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 uh, and I asked a family member and got a similar response, I think just kind of like, like saying, well, if we're, if we eat at a restaurant with, with alcohol, couldn't we eat at a casino? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't eat there. You know what I mean? There's something about that. Yeah. Uh, what is it that, uh, is there something different? And again, not that I'm trying to persuade yeah, it, somebody. It to seems eat. like there would have to be something different in our, in the way we think about it. Otherwise we would have thought about it already. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we would have been like, oh, wait a minute, you know, is this a glaring inconsistency in my behavior? Um, clearly we see it differently in some way. It bothers our conscience differently in some way, Yeah, yeah. but I can't quite put my finger on it, how it does that. Uh, or is it just that, uh, as you said, uh, what was the word, um, desensitized. desensitized that for so long we've seen alcohol and finally we kind of, kind of came to say that, look, I just want to eat a pizza, you know, so they serve alcohol. Okay. I'm still going to go eat the pizza. And we sort of, we salved it over in our own minds, whether it was a right or wrong education of the conscience. We finally just got over it and said, okay, let's, let's go eat here. But with the casino, they're like you say, not as ubiquitous. And so there's still the stigma uh, of decades past that says, don't gamble, no casinos, that's bad, that's wicked. And so to go to something that's so closely aligned, you know, I go to the, cause I walk through the casino to get to the, <laughs> the, the, uh, 
uh, you know, restaurant feels like you're, you know, I don't know, walking through the brothel or something. You're like, oh, oh, no, like this is this is a wicked yeah. place. I shouldn't be here, but I'm just going to eat. Well, maybe it's just that is is it that we just haven't been desensitized enough yet that they're trying in time they're going to continue to foist gambling and these apps and oh this is normal. You can go into your grocery store, do a little gambling on the machine here, and then when it becomes more normal, will we feel differently about it? Well, I mean, you realize there are some places that do attempt to make gambling more ubiquitous like that. Yes. Uh, we were recently traveling. Um, I think it was, was it when we came up to Missouri for the graduation? It might have been. We stopped at the 18-wheeler there in, uh, yeah. was Ewing it Taylor? Or, or ta- Ewing, okay. Taylor, somewhere over there. And I'm pretty sure I saw these, I don't know, I don't know what kind of machines they were. Almost like an I'm arcade not, machine. Uh, no. maybe, but it was okay. for the purpose of gambling. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if it was a slot machine of some kind or, or what have you, a modern uh-huh. day slot machine. I haven't brushed up on my, uh, you know, uh, gambling <laughs> machine <laughs> prototypes. Uh, so, um, yeah. I don't know what it was, but it was clearly meant for gambling. And there was some guy sitting there in the middle of the day, just gambling away on this machine. Yeah. You know, mm. is that in a sense making gambling more ubiquitous by putting those things around like that? And there are some parts of the country too. I'm thinking like the deep south. There are places where you go, the gas station is half casino. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I wonder though, is it tenable for us to conduct how we live like that? Like, like where anything that bothers our conscience in any way that we just can't function there. Is that tenable? I mean, I realize that the opposite extreme is just as bad. And I'm thinking of Lot desensitizing himself to Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't Mm -hmm. want that extreme. Mm -hmm. But the opposite extreme of saying, I'm just not going to go anywhere where there's something that offends my conscience. That's not tenable either. I mean, you can't go to the grocery store without there being things in it that violate and offend your conscience. Right. So there has to be some sort of balanced, nuanced position in the middle that is dependent perhaps on the sensitivity of a person's conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't quite know that we can say where that line is for everybody. True, true. Uh, and in a grocery store, we say, well, that's maybe an issue of necessity. I've got to go buy broccoli, but I don't have to go out to eat. But yes, I, I think that sensitivity of conscience is going to be different. And we certainly, uh, I wouldn't want to try to stake out someone else's conscience because uh, there we're getting back into what's Romans 14 territory where yes. uh, that is somewhat of a sacred thing in, in a sense. And I use that term intentionally that, you know, I, I don't want to violate your conscience or cause you to violate your conscience uh, and do something because you see someone else do it. Well, I'm going to do it too, but I don't feel like it's right. Well, right. no, don't do that. Um, so yeah. inter- interesting uh, line of conversation there, though. Sure. Well, that probably does it for this episode. It does. We're going to have to yeah. transition over into our uh, after show at this point. But thank you, listeners, again. And and again, your thoughts, your thoughts. Uh, questions maybe you're thinking about separately as you go through the day. You say, hey, you know, I'd like to hear some reasoning on that from my friends at Reason Together. But um, – but even about what we're talking about here, this part of the discussion or the closed canon part of the discussion, uh, send us your thoughts. It's simple enough. Just open your browser, reason together podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us your thoughts and we'll appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very much for being with us on this episode. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>